Now, Jesus has told us that he has to leave and that he's not going to leave us without a comforter, but he's made it very plain that the Holy Ghost is going to come and his ministry is going to be for the disciples of Jesus. So this is why he tells us then in verse 16 that he will abide with you forever. Talking about the unending presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus knows that his presence is necessary for your comfort as well as mine. Whenever we have to deal with the absence of a loved one, we tend to need comforting. I've seen people that have had to bury a spouse that they've been married to over 50 years. Afterwards, they need comforting. I've seen parents that have had to bury an infant child. You can't tell me they haven't needed comforting. There are a lot of circumstances in life that make it necessary for the Holy Ghost to come into our life to do what only he is able to do. So in the book of Acts, it tells us in chapter five that the apostles were preaching the gospel. And it says they had hands violently laid upon them and they were incarcerated. But in chapter five, verse 19, the angel of the Lord came during the night, opened the prison doors and said, go back to the temple and preach the words of this life. And that's exactly what they did. But when they stood up there in the place where they had been arrested, the people came to listen to them. And there was boldness given to them to proclaim the good news, to preach the word. You know God the Holy Ghost has to give you boldness to do that. Who goes back to where they were incarcerated to preach again unless God gives them the assurance that everything would be okay. The Sadducees and the priests, they sent some more people to arrest them, but they said, bring them without violence. We don't want any problems. As they were preaching the gospel, telling folks about the king, they came to them and said, look, did we not tell you to not preach in Jesus' name? They said, you did, but we rather obey God rather than obeying men. But we must tell people how God exalted his son to his right hand. We're witnesses of this, and so is also the Holy Ghost whom God has given. So they're telling us the only reason we're able to preach the gospel in the temple again is because of the presence of the Holy Ghost. Because he is at work in us. He gives us the confidence and the assurance that everything is going to be okay. And whenever you're facing a difficult time, God knows how to give you the comfort that you need. Now, there was a man named William Booth. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. And of course, when you think of the Salvation Army today, you just think of the little bell ringer standing outside of Walmart that's begging for money. But that is not how that movement began. This man had been a Methodist preacher and he started witnessing in the slums of the East End of London. And I mean, he had a powerful ministry. In one year, he and his army members had been assaulted 669 times. After 14 years of their movement's existence, they had more than 75,000 
annual outreaches. And when he died in 1912, he had more than 11,000 preachers on his payroll all around the world. But he started them to wearing uniforms because they were saving prostitutes and drunkards off the street. And these folks didn't have any clothing. So he decided to create uniforms for these people. And they had the bells that they would ring, but the bells were to signify that they were coming down the road or coming to a saloon to witness to people. How else could these folks do what they did? They walked into a saloon and there'd be 15 or 20 of them and they'd go in and start passing out tracts. They'd preach the gospel. Sometimes the people would violently throw them out. It didn't matter. They'd go right back in the very next day and preach the gospel again. They did open air meetings all over England because they wanted the people to know about Jesus Christ. And when people asked him, how can you do what you do? He said, this is what the spirit is compelling us to do to make sure people know about God. So from the beginning, right on up till he died, he had the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit as they were leading people to Christ. Multitudes bowed their knees on street corners. Many of them found Christ on a bar stool. They were even rescuing little children that were involved with child prostitution and sexual abuse. And one by one, they saw them come to know the Lord and then turned them back out in the streets to reach the very people amongst whom they used to live and dwell. So here we find that in the Bible, the disciples go right back to the people in the temple from whom they were saved. God brought them out in order to send them back in to reach these kinds of folks. What is the purpose? What is the point of the Holy Spirit to touch the hearts and lives of many people? It's not just for us to have feel good moments, but for us to be strong soul winners for him. Now, it tells us here in John 14, verse number 17, that the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. Now, truth is a standard that does not fluctuate. It doesn't change. Two plus two equals four in every country on this planet. It means the same thing in every generation throughout all the ages. That particular truth hasn't changed. The rising of the sun, the setting of the sun, it's the truth It takes place every day. The fact that a moon appears, according to Genesis chapter 1, it's something that hasn't changed since the creation of the earth. But for many people, truth is a relative thing. What's true for you may not necessarily be true for me. And even though you consider it to be true, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. And that's how many people in this world live. But I want you to know this book is the holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. It is the standard by which we live. In every generation, it has said the same thing. Men's interpretations have changed often, but it still doesn't change the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, nothing can change it. Now, what men deem to be true may not necessarily be true, even though they spent a lot of time emphasizing it. In the early days of many 
churches, they honestly preached and believed they were the true church. I mean, you go back to the origins of the Church of God with A.J. Tomlinson out of Cleveland, Tennessee. They believed they were the only true church on planet Earth. I sat with a man one time who was a professor at a Church of Christ University out on the West Coast. And he sat there and told me, he said, in our denomination, Church of Christ, we got some that believe in instruments, some that don't believe in instruments. But he said, there are still some old timers. And he told me this 20 years ago. He said, there's still some old timers over 70 and over 80 who believe that you're not saved unless you're part of that particular denomination. Well, I can tell you, you'll find a whole lot of that. In this world today, many people have come to believe that their denomination is the only true denomination. Look at how many millions of people there are around the world that believe if you don't belong to a Roman church, that outside of that church, there's no salvation. So people have deemed things to be true that are not necessarily true at all. And we have to come back to the scripture. The man or woman who has been blood washed, blood born and brought into the kingdom of God through regeneration is a member of the body of Christ. I don't care what denomination somebody's a part of. Doesn't matter to me what independent movement somebody's connected with. If you're not born again, you're not in the kingdom of God and you can have your name on 50 church membership roles. Somebody's got to know God. So what people may deem to be true may not necessarily be true. Now, I know this as a personal experience, just from many of the churches I used to preach in when I was a teenager and places where I go now and talking with people. You know, occasionally when Tiff and I are driving, I'll put on some, some old holiness preachers that I know are going to annoy her. You know, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Don don't know what I'm talking about for sure. But, but some of those old holiness preachers that down in the South, they preached against everything. They preached against the preacher wearing a necktie or any man wearing a necktie. They preached against short sleeve shirts. They preached against the rodeo. You wouldn't dare go near a movie theater, and they certainly wouldn't let any kids get involved with sports because then the boys and the girls would have had to run up and down the court with shorts on. They preached against everything. You couldn't go to a bowling alley, and they would even preach and tell little stories about, I wouldn't let a television in my house for nothing in the world. They'd say, if I had a TV, I'd load it up on the back of my truck. I'd drive out into the wilderness somewhere, take my shotgun, and then just begin to blast it to smithereens, and then get down on all fours and apologize to the insects and animals because I have polluted the environment. That's how they preached. And you still have thousands of them across the southern parts of the states who believe that. And they definitely wouldn't let their girls cut their hair or put a little bit of makeup on. But I tell you one thing, I've been in many areas where you run into those folks in restaurants after the evening service, go somewhere and you know how they have the televisions up in the corner and all of that. 
And, you know, you, you can always tell when they would come in because, you know, the ladies have their hair tied up in a bun and long skirts, pretty plain colors, no adornment like jewelry or anything else that would be evil or wicked in their eyes. But I'd sit there with my friends and we'd eat our food and, and I'd always notice them people at them tables that were holiness, wouldn't let a TV in that house. But I mean, you can hardly have a conversation with them because they're looking past you at that television screen. So they, they want to know what's going on there. But when I first came to Nebraska, there was a gentleman like that pastoring in Beatrice, had a little storefront church. And for him to come hear me, he was in his 60s then. He had to get permission from his bishop in another state just to come hear me preach in somebody's living room. He came out night after night listening to me preached. And in less than, I'd say, two weeks, God had preached him out of that United Pentecostal church and brought all kinds of liberty to him. Liberty that he'd never known because he came to see that the blood of Jesus Christ is what is to be magnified. Folks, think about it. There are many things that people deem to be true in the past. Come to find out never had anything to do with the Bible in the first place at all. Yeah. Yeah. There's still a few places that if you're going to join the church, you got to sign a pledge card to say you won't do this and you won't do that. But it's the role of the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, in our lives through conviction to show us what's right and what's wrong. If you don't do it because I tell you not to do it, but in your heart you want to do it, you just as well might, might as well do it, you see? But if you understand that when God works on your heart and he's dealing with you about some particular act, then that is the biblical way. God gave the Holy Ghost to work in our hearts, in our lives. And I'm so glad that we live up here preaching the gospel where we don't have the bondages and entanglements of so much of that other stuff. The Holy Ghost emphasizes God's word and not our personal preferences. Our personal preferences may not necessarily be holy and they may not necessarily be true. But notice in verse 17 where it says, The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not. The world is blind to the presence of the Holy Spirit. They don't even know that he exists. Totally oblivious to what he's doing. So sinners suffer from a spiritual handicap of which they're unaware. They don't know that they don't have the ability to recognize truth and error. Their faculties of discernment have been hindered on account of this blindness, so they're confused about what's holy and what's unholy, what's clean and what's unclean. This is why when you talk to your friends and your family members, you can't really get along about what's right and what's wrong. And, you know, you'll tell them what you believe about the scripture and you'll say something like, well, Isaiah 49 and 1 makes it very plain. The Lord said to Isaiah, I spoke to you when you were in the womb of your mother. You tell them about Ecclesiastes 11, verse number 5, that the Spirit, as the Spirit of the Lord moves in this earth and nobody knows how he is at work, so do the bones of a baby grow in a mama's womb. 
You quote those verses and say, look, I just believe that a child in that belly is a baby. This is why we say someone is with child. And there are people in this nation that will look at you like you're a dinosaur. How dare you say to me that that woman has a baby in her belly? Then if she doesn't have a baby in her belly, what is she pregnant with? The whole point of the issue is to show you that when men and women live in darkness, it affects their ability to be rational about the things of God. And without the mind of Christ, you can't think the thoughts of God. That's why the scripture says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Somebody might say, well, you know, if you go to church, they'll brainwash you. Well, Oprah Winfrey do the same thing if you watch her every day. The school system can do that to you. Also, if you're not strong enough to know the truth of the word of God. I had to go into a school one time, teach a history class in another town. And I was asking the teacher, I said, how in the world do you teach all of this stuff that deals with evolution and the changing of man and all of that? And he, he was quite honest with me. He just said, you know, Pastor, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I've got to submit all of these different outlines. And he says, I put my outlines lines out and here is what I'm supposed to teach according to what they say but he said I get right up there and he said I skip over all of that he said I, I don't want to infect them with that and he said if they ever ask me a question about the beginnings or the creation of man he said I'll always turn it so they could see that we come from the hand of God that we weren't monkeys that somehow stopped dragging our knuckles across the earth and then stood upright on our feet and started acting like human beings see takes wisdom to be able to do that but somebody who has a mind that is locked in sin they can't see that you see they don't understand you. I've met plenty of people that when they talk to me and ask me what I believe, they'll say things like, I didn't even know dinosaurs like you still existed. Where in the world did they find you? I thought people like you were hiding in a closet somewhere with these private beliefs. But no, I believe what the Bible teaches clearly. And whatever I'm confused about, I don't drag it into the pulpit. But what I know to be clear I just bring it straight from God's word. The scripture says the world cannot receive him because they don't see him. But it does go on to say they don't even know him. That means they're unacquainted with him. So being unacquainted with him, their life, their values and their belief reflect the fact that the Holy Ghost has no influence over their lives. Think about that now. Why are our values so different from people who don't believe in God? Why are our beliefs so different? How can you have a family when all of them say they go to church, but yet there can be so many divergences of opinion with respect to whether or not we can have somebody who's a male or female, or whether somebody's mixed up and confused about what they really are. Come on, folks, even in the world of the chickens, they've got enough sense to know you're either a rooster or a hen. But so confused today, unacquainted by the Holy Spirit, so we're lacking the knowledge of the Holy Spirit, and his lack of influence has brought confusion to our homes and to our hearts. Psalm 14, 1 says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. 
That means if there is no God in that man or woman's world, they live in a godless circumstance. Their life is going to reflect godless values. What does godlessness look like? Oh, it doesn't look pleasant at all, folks. You find a godless environment, you'll find folks in India who will sell their children for a few rubles. You'll find a mother that has a family of 11 kids and because she can't afford them, she'll take her little boy or her little girl and go up to a temple and then trade that child off to that priest for the priest to sexually abuse them any way that they want for the next 10 to 15 years of their life just so mom can have a few extra dollars to buy some bread for her other kids. That's what godlessness looks like. I can tell you it looks like a man or a woman whose life is so empty that they just open up their bedroom to anybody that'll come along and show them some interest. So different men, different women just pass through that bed every single night. No self-esteem, no self-respect. That's what a godless world looks like. You find somebody that won't go home after work because they're tired of fighting with their spouse, they're tired of being cussed out, the kids rather hang out with the coach than be home at their own house, and so you'll find that sometimes people get off work and they'll just drive around the community looking for a place to go because they don't want to go home. That's what godlessness looks like. Go to any saloon, go to any beer garden, any tavern, anywhere within 200 miles of where we are right now on any given night. And I can promise you, you'll find men and women there trying to trying to fix the problems of their life by staring at the bottom of an empty or a field glass. That's what godlessness looks like. People don't know him. So they drink up their children's lunch money. They drink up the mortgage money. Money that could go to something substantial and worthwhile. They wasted by simply giving it to something that doesn't help the community at all. Unacquainted with him, their life, their values reflect the lack of Holy Ghost experience. Well, Paul was testifying one time before a king and he told the story of salvation. And here's what Agrippa said to Paul. He said, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Now, it's important to know we want people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We want people to leave a religion that won't take you to heaven and come to know Christ as the only way that you can make it to the Father. But we also know almost is not good enough. How many of you know just coming to church doesn't make you a Christian? Yeah, there are a whole lot of folks go to church, spend a lot of years in church. That doesn't make them a Christian at all. So almost is not good enough. You know, you could hear somebody testify about how they were in a basketball game and it came down to the final two or three seconds. And here that point guard launched that ball from the three point line and it went in and then rolled back out and he can take off running and jumping and shouting. I'm telling you that thing almost went in, but almost isn't good enough. He's still going home. They're not going to the playoffs, you see. It's never good enough. And in the kingdom of God, there has to be a genuine heartfelt religion where a person realizes that they've submitted their heart to God and have cried out to him and having repented, have been redeemed from their sins. 
Folks, you can't do that on your own. I couldn't do that on my own. You couldn't do that on your own. It's only the blood that can provide the forgiveness that is needed. Almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Well, we should witness and we need to testify and people need to know about God. But the man or woman who's at the door and almost in still is on the outside, on the outside. The person that has a Bible on their shelf but won't pick it up and read it and believe it is still on the outside. The person that picks a Bible up and reads it and says it's all interesting, but I don't believe it, still on the outside. The person that says my father, my grandfather were deacons and strong believers in the church laid the cornerstone in the new building when they built it 65 years ago may have a lovely heritage, but having a lovely heritage doesn't make a man or woman a Christian. Agrippa said, almost, you persuade me, Paul. But Jesus said in verse 17 here, but you know him, all of you, all of you disciples, you know him for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Your relationship with him began as soon as you started walking with me. That's what Jesus is telling them disciples. You spent all your time in the synagogue, didn't know anything about God. You chased after this rabbi and after that rabbi had no understanding at all of the office work of the Holy Spirit. But since you've been with me, I've given you power to cast out devils, to heal the sick. I've sent you two by two to different villages to preach the gospel. You saw the glory fall. You've seen people saved. You've seen crippled people healed. And you've seen joy come to the faces of those who have believed in me. So he said, you know him, you know the spirit of God because he dwells with you. So how do people learn about the Holy Spirit? They learn about the Holy Spirit by being around people who have the Holy Spirit, who are led by the Holy Spirit and who know about the operations of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way to learn about the things of God. We had a little girl here several weeks ago. She was listening to us pray for some people down in the altar call and God was filling folks with the Holy Spirit. She ran up to her, to her mama and she said, I want gibberish. That's what she called it, speaking with tongues. She didn't know. She's a third grader. She didn't understand how to even describe it. She said, I, I want to do what they're doing. Little girl was, was saying that. But the, the operation of the Holy Spirit begins when he is at work in our hearts and in our lives. He can talk to you through a dream. He can talk to you through a vision. But somebody has got to set the pattern and model for you. And you model for them what it is to be a spirit-filled, loving, Christ-loving believer. I've told you before, it's not enough to bring family members to church. Somebody's got to take that church home. Somebody has to take that church out into the community. Somehow, somebody has to live this on the job. And the culture today is so oppressive that they want you to hide what you believe. So we're getting ready for the holiday season. And, you know, the family gatherings will begin. And you'll hear this inevitably in somebody's family. Well, you know, Uncle Charlie, he... He always shoots off his mouth and makes people mad. He says this and he says that. And we know what he says isn't right. But when Uncle Charlie gets here, 
I just think we ought to just let him do and say whatever he wants. Let's not cause a ruckus. You know, let's just be the Christians and be the peacemakers and not say anything. So here you are. You've got to be around all these devils that are in your family. And you've got folks saying, let the devil manifest all day long and let him cuss and use every bit of foul language and irreverence that he wants. But because you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got to be the one to suppress the ministry of Christ through your life. Well, Grandma said we can't come by if, if we don't do what she said. Well, tell Grandma to go visit Uncle Charlie under an oak tree somewhere. But the rest of us want to talk about God when we get together. See, that's the difference. And at some point in your life, if you don't draw a line in the sand, I can promise you, you'll spend your life worried about offending the devil without ever thinking about how you grieve in the Holy Spirit. He wants to live his life through you. Other people should have to be the ones to make the changes and accommodate to what you believe about God in your house rather than you having to accommodate other people. I've seen people say, well, I, we wanted to pray over the meal, but, you know, my, my sister, she's an atheist and she don't believe in prayer at, at the meal. And, and so we just didn't pray. I said, well, the atheist would have been asked to step outdoors then because we're about to pray. And not only are we going to pray, we're going to pray a long one for her also. Yeah, we're going to pray a long one. Don't compromise what you believe, folks. You can't lead people to Christ if you don't give them an opportunity to see Christ. Now, you got to do it all in love, you know. Uh, I, I stand up here and I, I, I preach it in a dogmatic way, but you got to be loving in how you handle these things. But never forget that God lives in you. Your body is a temple. Let God have his way. And don't be ashamed at all of what, what, what you believe and what Christ is doing in your life. I heard a story one time about a man and his he was a preacher, a pastor, had a guest speaker, and they all went out afterwards to a restaurant, and he had his grandma with him, and they were all sitting there talking about the service and things like that, and the grandma hit the grandson and just nudged him and said, I, 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 think, I think I've got a word. I think God's coming on me here at this table, and they're sitting in a restaurant. And they got people, you know, at all these different tables within three or four feet. And so that pastor leaned over to his uh, guest speaker and said, I, uh, my, my grandma thinks she's got to give a tongue here in this restaurant in front of all these people. And he said, well, this, this ought to be interesting. Well, sure enough, I mean, grandma cut loose. And then after she was done... The pastor there, he gave the interpretation to what grandma just said and said to that pastor, visiting pastor, minister, and his wife, that God just said that you're with child and didn't know it and that this time next year you'll be celebrating and rejoicing a baby that's here. Well, sure enough, they went back and they went to see a doctor and sure enough, they were pregnant, had no idea they were even with child. And here it happened in a restaurant sitting at a table with a bunch of people. So the point I'm trying to emphasize is that when God is at work in your life, don't hide it. They said one time Smith Wigglesworth was in a, I think a restaurant. I, I don't know if it was Australia, England or somewhere. 
But he said he sat down at the table and he was watching all of these people. They were all eating their different food. And he said to his people, he said, just hold on for a second. I, I need to, to make mention of something. So he stood up on a chair, took a glass, took a spoon and just started beating the glass. And it was getting everybody's attention. So once he had it, he said, I've been sitting here for the past 15 minutes waiting on my food. And it's been my observation that you all eat like a bunch of hogs. Not one of you have said grace at all. You just dug right into your food. He said, bow your head. We're going to have a word of prayer. And then he proceeded to pray. And after he was done praying, one person after another came up to him after their meal and said, thank you. We haven't had anybody mention to us about praying over our food in so long. They even led one man to Christ because of that. So, folks, all I'm telling you is that when the Holy Spirit is active in your life, don't worry about walking on them eggshells, trying to keep them from breaking. Spend more time worrying about grieving the Holy Spirit than you do about hurting the feelings of family members and friends. Think about how he feels, how it hurts him to know that he so loved you that he gave his son, that his son came, hung and bled on that cross, having been bludgeoned and beaten and then taken down from the cross, placed in a tomb, raised from the dead, came up out of the grave with all power, went back to heaven so that he could send the Holy Spirit. And, and he doesn't want us saying, oh God, I love my friend or my enemy or my family member more than you so love me and given your son. Yeah. Be bold in your relationship with him and in the witness that you have here. I know we all have to be considerate on our jobs. You have to obey the principles and rules set out on that job. But when somebody asks you about your personal and your private beliefs, you have every opportunity to share them. Oh yes, I love it when somebody says to me, Pastor, what do you think about so-and-so? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Now we can have a, a discussion about it. If I'm busy with somebody and they ask, I'm glad you asked because I want to let you know. I think if we walk with God and live for him, God will keep us. He'll preserve us. He'll protect us. He'll preserve our testimony and our witness because without a testimony and witness, we don't have the respect of people. Without the respect of people, nobody's going to listen to what I have to say. Nobody. And once you lose a person's respect, I don't care how anointed that man or woman is, you'll never hear a thing that they're saying. And if you knew that I was out here driving back and forth to every tavern and sitting there with a few friends and was throwing them back with them, you wouldn't come out and listen to me at all. You might say, I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah, there are a whole lot of people like that. And I've seen preachers that are like that. Wife and I preached a meeting one time. They had the man get up there to lead the praise and worship. The man that led the praise and worship was supposed to be a pastor at a Pentecostal church. But yet this man spent all of his time in taverns, just playing secular music and singing all of that garbage. And so he's up here leading that praise and worship for me. And he started off and he's singing that song, I've Got friends in low places, some country song or something like that. And I, I said, oh my goodness, I looked at my wife. And of course, my wife, she knows when 
and I'm not the happiest camper. And she sit next to me. She reaches over and grabs my knee and my leg and just starts massaging it so that I don't go into convulsions. You know, so she's doing that. And I'm just sitting there. And I said, honey, in a few moments, you're going to get up and you're going to sing in front of all of these people. I'm going to preach the power of God's going to fall and nobody's going to even remember that man. And we're not going to worry about him anymore. And sure enough, she got up and saying the glory of God came into that place. I ministered that night and I could see that that little guitar playing uh, pastor or whatever he was, he was squirming the whole time because it'd been a long time since he heard somebody preach that said you actually ought to live what you're preaching. You ought to live the standard of the scripture. Don't expect other people to do what you yourself refuse to do, but if you refuse to do it, just get out of the business altogether. No sense in bringing some kind of disreparable uh, ministry or name to the Lord, but stand for God and live for him. And folks, that's how we've tried to live, you know. We're, we're not legalists, but we do our best to try to hold fast to the truths of scripture. Because I don't, I don't ever want to do anything that's going to jeopardize our marriage. I don't want to do anything that's going to bring a reproach upon this church. And I don't want to ever do anything that's going to cause me to get in trouble with him. I don't want anybody out in the community and they say, where do you go to church? You say, Pastor Darrell's my pastor. And then you got to drop your head be because you're embarrassed by saying that. Don't ever want that to happen. But I want people to be excited about God. Amen. Amen. He 